0: Hello, and thanks for watching this message. We hope that as you do, you have an encounter with Jesus and that you come away changed and want to become more like him. Also, as you finish watching this message, we'd love for you to consider doing three different things. One of those is to share this link with somebody else who might also need to hear this message. Secondly, we'd love for you to fill out the connect card. There's a link below this video that you can click on to fill out some information about yourself and then take your next steps to engage with us and our community. Lastly, we'd love for you to give and to invest in the work that we get to be a part of here at Life Church Canton. Now, enjoy the message.
1: Amen. You may be seated. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And don't you just love God's peace? You love his presence. No matter what we face, yeah, give it up for him feels like we get to come and hang out in his living room together and enjoy his presence and have conversation and grow as a family of God. That's what church should be, amen, where we can come just as we are and grow and become more like Jesus. No matter where you are in your journey, whether you're taking your first step with him or you've been walking with him for a while, we want to help you take next steps in your faith. And the best way to do that is to fill out our Connect card, to go on the Church Center app and find out all that's going on at our church so you can snap a pic of this QR code it'll take you to the the app that you can download and engage with us as a church to be a part of the family of God and grow along with us so we're so glad you're here those of you joining us online and everyone in the room today and I have a question for you to start off how many of you are football fans how many of you love football all right now I have to clarify I could be talking about soccer or American football so you can answer for either one, uh, but today I want to talk about American football because there's a new development in my household, okay? My son is 11 years old and he plays football. He's a lineman and a beast out there on the field, so it's been fun to watch him grow in the sport. But now that he's playing, my wife is getting into it and she's learning all the plays and she's, you know, learning all the rules of football and she's at the point now where she gets offended if I watch a game without her. So I don't know what's happening, but thank the Lord Jesus, he's answering my prayers, okay? <laughs> I actually think she's only watching it to watch Taylor Swift, actually, now that Taylor Swift's showing up at the games. Um, you know, it's, it's funny to watch all the memes that are going around, like, you know, Taylor Swift made Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes famous, you know, because they weren't famous before that. Um, but it's just fun to watch these different ways that we engage with the things that we love. And football is a fun sport to get connected with. Uh, there's nothing more iconic about football than homecoming. And students, maybe you just went to the homecoming dance so you can relate to this. Homecoming reminds me of parades where we compete to see who has the best parade float among the grades uh, you know, there's times where we get together as friends and longtime classmates, where we come back to school after 5, 10, 20 years for the, the homecoming celebrations and festivities and old friendships are rekindled. When I think of homecoming, I think of all of these things. I think of getting dressed up really fancy and going to the homecoming dance and creating memories together. Uh, but nothing is more iconic than the homecoming football game. Alright. And if you can boil everything about homecoming down to one thing, it is a celebration of school identity. Celebration of who are we as a school? How has the school shaped and formed us as students who have gone through this institution? It's a reminder of who we are. A reminder of identity. And this matters because, uh, Not only a school has an identity, so does a church, so does the family of God, so do each one of us. We all have these things that define who we are, and that's why we're calling this series Homecoming, because we're remembering who we are as a church, and we define that by a code. Now, if you're in the room, you can see the code on the wall. If you're joining us online, you'll see the code on the screen as we go through, but this code represents who we want to be, who God has called us to be. It reminds us of who we are. So each week we're going to unlock two pieces of that code so that we can grow and develop in our identity to become more like Jesus. The real goal of this is to grow in the kingdom of God in our context. And so we want to take on these pieces of our identity so that we can become more like Jesus. Sound good? And not just grow as a church, but grow as individuals as well. So there's one more thing about homecoming that's interesting. It's a fun fact that a lot of times when the schools choose their opponent for the homecoming football game, they'll choose a weak opponent because uh, they kind of want an easy victory for homecoming. Uh, you know, nothing like ruining the homecoming vibe when your team gets crushed on homecoming night. Uh, unfortunately, that happened to my high school this year, so awkward. Um, but you want to choose an easy opponent to face for the game to kind of add to the vibe of the festivities. Well, this idea of opponents or facing off against opposition is not new to scripture. It's not new to the apostle Paul either. He talked a lot about fighting and engaging in this battle and 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 growing in this tension of opposition. And I think Paul missed the homecoming memo of an easy opponent because in Ephesians chapter 2 he doesn't give us an easy opponent to face off with. He actually gives us the ultimate opponent. So let's start in Ephesians 2, chapter uh, verse 1, and see this opponent that he's talking about. You were once dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So we're going to pause right there because he's already revealed who the opponent is. He talks about being dead in our sins. But what is he talking about? Because he's not talking about physical death. Obviously, we're still alive. His audience is still alive. It would be kind of awkward if he was sharing this to people who were dead and couldn't hear him. So what kind of death is he talking about? Paul is talking about the death of belonging. And he says it's caused by sin. Because sin promises belonging apart from God. Sin promises belonging apart from God. And this is why sin is the ultimate opponent. Because it promises belonging, but it ends up killing it. Do you see that word he said? We're dead in our sins. We're dead in belonging with sin. It ends up killing it. When I was 11 years old, my friends and I used to play pickup games of football in the field in our neighborhood. We'd gather the guys. We'd have competition. We'd get in fights, you know, and then hug it out afterwards. You know how it goes where you just have a good old-fashioned game of pickup football. And then one day we went to the corner store to get some snacks to uh, kind of rest and hang out after playing. And we went to my friend's house with our snacks and we were just hanging out and, and one of my friends grabbed a magazine and he was showing it to us. But it was a magazine I had never seen before. It was pornography. And I'll never forget what he said when he showed it to us. He said, this is what guys look at when they feel alone. This is what guys look at when they feel alone. So in other words, when you feel like you don't belong, when you feel like you're alone, this sin can give you belonging. Pornography can give you the intimacy and connection that you're looking for. That was the promise of this sin, and I believed it. I believed it because it seemed to satisfy my sexual desires. I felt good after I did it. It felt like the answer to what I was looking for. But I didn't understand what was going on behind the scenes. Something was lurking that was uh, dangerous. Something was lurking that was luring me away from God. What is behind the s- scenes of our sins? Let's continue in this chapter to find out. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says, You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. In verse 3, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Let's go back to verse 2 because I want to unpack each of these words for you. Inevitably, if we search for belonging outside of God, we end up obeying the devil. Okay? Scripture is clear about this. When we pursue sin, We obey the devil. Now, who is the devil? He is the opponent of God. He is opposing everything that God is doing. The kingdom of darkness is fighting against the kingdom of heaven. And the enemy is trying to distract us from living and growing in the kingdom of God by getting us to obey him. Now, who is the devil? The scripture is very clear. He is the commander of evil powers. He wants to move us away from the good and get us to live in evil ways. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who disobey God. I think this is a sobering verse because oftentimes we think that we can just kind of play around with sin. It's not a big deal. Uh, You know, no one will know about it if it's secret. But the truth is, it is a big deal because we're actually following the enemy of God when we sin. We are letting him teach us how to sin. And in fact, in verse 3, you can go there it says that it actually becomes a part of our sinful nature. What does that mean? Sin becomes a part of your identity. It goes down into your very soul, into who you are. And this is why it's so hard to escape sin, because it's now become a part of us. It's now something that we think we can't shake because it's it's who we are. And that's why it's so dangerous. That is what is happening behind the scenes. Now, I wish we could talk more about this opponent of God. We could do a whole message on that, a whole sermon series, because I think we need to keep talking more about spiritual warfare and understand this enemy that we're up against who is the opponent of God. But here's the thing I need you to know today. The devil is the coach of sin. Like any good football coach, they train their players to get better at football. There's conditioning. In August, they spend hours on the field conditioning, getting stronger, They have two-a-day practices where the guys are dying for thirst, but they've got to get conditioned to be able to last on the field and have stamina. So the coaches will condition them. They lift weights to get stronger. They do drills. They work on techniques. They get down to the fundamentals so these coaches can train their football players to be good at the game. And number one, they teach them to run the routes of the plays that they have on the football field. I want to show you a picture of some of these routes. And so these are the wide receivers who will go out and catch the ball. And these are the routes that they run. There's a hitch where you run straight and then cut down to the right. The slant, you're cutting to the right as well, but sooner. And then the out is cutting to the left and so on. There's these different plays that the the players have to practice and memorize until it's just second nature. They run the routes of the plays until they can do it without even thinking. And the quarterback throws the ball to the wide receiver so they can advance it down the field and try to score a touchdown. Well, just like this, the devil coaches us to belong to him instead of God. He conditions us by coaching us to follow evil desires, lustful cravings, selfish longing, abusive pleasure. You see, the more we sin, the better we get at sinning. It's not just a a thing that we do and it doesn't affect us. No, we run the routes of sin and we get better at it. I don't think we want to do that. I don't think we want to step into that danger or take that risk. I don't think we want to obey the devil and follow the routes of sin that he's trying to teach us. Because when we do, like I said, it becomes a part of our nature and our Identity. I thought I found belonging in porn, so I kept going back to it. I kept running the routes of evil desire. It became my medication that I went to when I felt alone. And I got addicted to it. Porn was now a part of my sinful identity, and I believed the lie that I could find belonging in it. Did you notice that I just said lie? Lie. In John 8, Jesus says that there is no truth in Satan. In fact, he is the father of lies. The devil is the father of lies. It is his native language. So whenever you hear him whisper to you or tempt you and you think you want to believe him, it's a lie. There is no truth in him. And so, friends, we have to be aware and ready when we start to hear the voice of the coach of sin because he's trying to lie to us and get us to move away from God. And he's trying to kill belonging. Because saying you can find true belonging apart from God is a lie of the devil. When the devil promises belonging through sin, he actually delivers the death of belonging instead. It's a bait and switch. He delivers death, but promises life. And he can never deliver on that promise. I thought porn gave me belonging But every time I went to it, I felt more alone afterwards. This digital high turned into a gaping cavern of emptiness in my soul. Questions for you What has promised you belonging apart from God? How have you been lured to believe the lie that you can find intimacy and connection outside of God? How have you looked for satisfaction in sin? What is something in your life that has distracted you from God, promising you connection, contentment, and companionship? What or who has promised to give you what only God can give? I mean, if we have this option, if we have two roads to travel down, why is it that we tend to travel away from God and not towards him? What is that road that you travel that drives you away from God? Because when we walk down that road, we can't find belonging. But how do we choose the road that God is on? How do we choose to find belonging and true belonging in him? Let's keep reading in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God is so rich in mercy that he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. Scripture is saying that even though we were dead, Christ raised us from the dead with his life. Even though we tried to find belonging outside of him, he says, you belong with me. And this is our first code. You belong. You belong. This is an invitation into the kingdom of God. Every person belongs in the kingdom of God. All people made in the image of God, no matter what your background is, where you've come from, where you've been, what you've done what your ethnicity is. This is a beautifully diverse body of Christ, family of God, and all are welcome to belong in that family. Amen? Two times the scripture says that we are united with Christ. Now, whenever scripture repeats itself, it's saying, pay attention. There's something here that you need to get. It says we are united into Christ, united with Christ. What is it saying? What does that mean? It means that we are adopted into Christ's family. The enemy, the coach of sin, says that we belong to him. Tries to lure us away from God and distract us from God. But the enemy only uses and abuses us and leaves us on the streets of sin, doesn't he? But friends, we have a father who's coming searching for us, a search and rescue for each and every one of us to say, you are my son, you are my daughter. I want to pick you up with your bruises and breaks. I want to pick you up and carry you home to my house so that you can be my son and my daughter so that you can truly belong with me. You are his beloved and he is yours. He looks at you and says, you are mine and I am yours. I am your father and I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never do what that coach of sin does who just uses you and leaves you on your own. Unsatisfied, unfulfilled, broken promises. I am a God of promise and I will make true on my promises to you. I am your father and I will always be there for you. This is the heart of the Father who has adopted each and every one of us who choose to follow him, who choose to accept the invitation to belong in his family, in his kingdom. How does this belonging affect our sin? Because we all struggle with sin. We all believe the lie that we can find belonging outside of God. The reason why this is so powerful is because belonging overpowers sin. Belonging overpowers sin. Sin is the rejection of the invitation to belong with God. Remember, it's believing that we can find acceptance and belonging outside of God, but we already established that it's dead. You can't find belonging outside of God. But sin lures us away. Here's the good news, my friends when we accept God's invitation to belong in his family, we don't need sin anymore. Amen? We can outgrow sin. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? Does that mean you're never going to struggle again? No. It means every time you're lured away to believe the lie that you can find belonging apart from God, you run back to him. And say, God, I find belonging in you. You are what I need. You are what I'm looking for. I can't find it in sin. And when we do that, we overpower sin every time. Because God is what we're longing for. He is the source of true belonging. We cannot find belonging apart from Jesus. Because he is the source of belonging. And in order to belong in God's family, we must encounter Jesus. Let's keep reading in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Let's go back to verse 8. I want to unpack this with you. He says, When you believed, when you believed what? When you believed that encountering Jesus is belonging. Salvation is encountering Jesus. And this is our next code. It's to encounter Jesus. Because we belong so that we can encounter Jesus. Belonging by itself is not enough. Remember, belonging outside of God is dead. It's not enough. We need Jesus to make that belonging true, to make that belonging what God designed it to be. We encounter Jesus so that we can belong. And this is a gift from God. It's something we cannot earn. We cannot work our way into salvation. It's a gift that we receive from Christ Jesus. And that empowers us to overcome sin. That empowers us to to stop looking for belonging because we've already found it in the family of God. Amen? And that's where true belonging is. What is this gift of salvation? It's encountering Jesus because every time we encounter him, we're transformed. Every time we encounter him, we become more like God. And this gift specifically that we get through salvation is a better coach. A better coach because the coach of sin wasn't winning. So we fired him. Not today, Satan. Peace out. We don't need you anymore. We've got a better coach and his name is Jesus. Because Jesus is the coach of salvation. Friends, if the enemy tries to get us to run the routes of sin, to grow in the sinful nature, then Jesus wants to do the opposite. He wants to teach us how to run the routes of salvation. To learn the ways and will of the Father. To become more like him as we grow, as we encounter him. Jesus is the coach of salvation. And this is a moment. This is a moment we, we accept him as our savior, as our Lord. But it is also a process. We have to learn how to follow him step by step. We need to get rid of all the ways that we're distracted from him. And this is a process of being coached by him. Jesus coached me in my recovery from pornography. He met me in the addiction and trained me how to find intimacy and connection with him. And one of the turning points in my journey was watching a documentary called Heart of Man. We have free access to this on Right Now Media, which is a Bible study tool that we have that is free for you. So if you want to check into Right Now Media and watch this documentary, I highly recommend it you can email me, john at lifecanton.org, and I'd love to get you connected for free with that. Um, but in this documentary, they were sharing true stories of their encounters with Jesus. And one of the guys, I'll never forget this story, because he shared about how he had just gone on a porn binge, and he fell asleep. And he had a dream. And in the dream, he had imagined that he was in prison, and he had the bright orange prison garb on, And he noticed in the dream he was sitting at a table by himself in the lunchroom, the cafeteria. And he had awareness that this was because of the shame that he felt, because of what he did. I'm alone. I did this again to God, so I deserve to sit by myself. And he was wallowing in that shame spiral. When all of a sudden he saw a man walk through the wide open door of the prison, of the room, and came and walked towards him. And sat next to him. And he realized that this man was Jesus. And this man too had on the prison garb and was sitting right next to him. And he looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, why are you sitting next to me? I don't deserve to be in your presence. I don't deserve for you to sit at this table with me. And Jesus looks him in the eyes and says, Look at me, son. I am here. I am your God. And I have accepted you. And I will empower you to overcome and to be free. Look at the door. It's wide open. You do not need to struggle in this sin anymore because I am here with you in it and I will give you power to overcome. See, one of the greatest lies of sin is that God is not anywhere near and can't help us in it. We are on our own to overcome sin. Good luck with that. (laughs) It's not going to work. We need the presence and the power of Jesus to invade the moments of our sin and empower us to rise out of them, to realize that they are counterfeits and we can't find the belonging that we're looking for. We need him to set us free. And that broke something inside of me because I had been striving in my own strength to overcome this struggle and now I was empowered with his presence. Now he showed me how to find him and to find satisfaction and longing in him instead of in this sin. He opened my eyes to the beauty and the mystery of my wife and he showed me the true intimacy and connection of pursuing her instead of falling for the lies of the counterfeit, the lies of sin that only leave to dead belonging. He set me free. He changed my desires. He made me truly desire what he wanted, his ways and his will. I am not a finished product. This is a work in process as I continue to grow in my salvation, to grow in recovery. But I thank God that he set me free and he showed me where true belonging and true satisfaction lie. In him alone. In the family of God, with my wife, with my family, that's where belonging is found. How about you? Will you let Jesus coach you In the ways of salvation? Will you let him show you how to run the routes that please him? How to walk your life in step with him? Do you believe that he wants to coach you? Do you feel like you're not worthy of his time? Because if this is you, this is the first obstacle you must crush and get past. You are enough, and he wants to invest in you. He has time for you, you are not too far gone because you are his son and his daughter. Remember, you're adopted. And as his adopted children, he has time for you. But you have to see it in yourself. Maybe you feel like this marble block. Maybe you feel like you've got some rough edges. You're still a work in progress. There's potential to make something out of this block, but you haven't seen it yet. You haven't realized it yet. You're kind of bumped and bruised and have some broken spots. But you're not who you want to be. Maybe you feel like you don't belong. You're too much. You're not enough. You're too broken. You're too far gone. God doesn't have use for you anymore. And when he looks at you, all he sees is this marble block. Flaws, brokenness, chips, and sin. Well, Ephesians 2.10 disagrees with you. Let's read it again. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Does this scripture say you were God's masterpiece until you screwed it up? No. Does it say you will be God's masterpiece when you figure out how to be perfect? No, it doesn't. It says you are his masterpiece. Right now, right where you are, in that seat that you're sitting in, you are his masterpiece. Do you believe it? Will you receive it? I've been talking a lot about football today, so let me use another analogy in terms of artwork, in terms of sculpting. When world-famous sculptor Michelangelo looked at a marble block just like this picture that we saw, he sharpened his chisel and his tools. He got ready to put his masterful hands to work making that marble block into a masterpiece. But before he started working, he said this, the sculpture is already complete within the marble block. Before I start my work, it is already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. It's a fun word to say, isn't it? Superfluous material. See, when Michelangelo looked at the marble, he didn't see the block. He saw this. David. One of the most famous and perfect sculptures ever created by the hands of man. Could it be that when God looks at you, he doesn't see the marble block. He sees David. He sees insert your name in the gap. He sees the one he created in your mother's womb. He stitched you together from DNA and atoms and made you exactly who you are. And he is proud of the creation that he made. He made you unique. He made you in the image of his son. And that's what he looks at when he sees you. Every one of us is a masterpiece in the making. You are a masterpiece in the making. When God sees you, he sees your true self. He sees his dearly loved child with limitless potential for doing good. Sure, you've got some superfluous material. I've got some right around here, and God can chisel that away whenever he wants to. Uh, we all have these places where we feel like we have something extra. You know what superfluous means? Unnecessary. Synonyms, more than enough, excess, useless, unproductive, unwanted. All that stuff that's hanging on to you, all that extra stuff that you think you need to define who you are, it's extra, you don't need it, it's unnecessary. Let him chisel it away to reveal the true self that he created. To help you become who he wants you to be. Let him chisel away the broken thoughts that convince you that you can find belonging outside of him. Let him chisel away the sinful patterns, the ways that we are prone to run the routes of sin instead of salvation. Let him teach you the routes of salvation. Let him chisel away the wounds and the trauma that you've experienced. Let him chisel away the weight that you carry in your body from that trauma. Let him heal you. Let him satisfy the lies with his truth about who you are. Let him heal your wounds. Let him free you from the pressure of trying to do too much to prove who you are. Or trying to earn your salvation. Remember, the scripture says you can't earn it. It's a gift. You just accept it. You live into it. You allow that gift to invade your life in every nook and cranny of your soul so that you can become like Jesus. Because guess what? The same spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And he will overcome anything you face. He overcame death through the resurrection. you think he can get tripped up by what you face? Nothing is more powerful than death. And that means he can overcome anything that you go through with his life. That superfluous material is not you. Let him chisel it all away to reveal the masterpiece you truly are. So how do we live into this? How do we allow him to guide our lives so that we can live our lives as a masterpiece. I want to give you three ways that we can do this. Number one, every time you look in the mirror this week, I want you to say out loud, I am a masterpiece in the making. In fact, I want to practice that right now. I'm going to count to three, and I want you to say it like you mean it, okay? One, two, three. I am a masterpiece in the making. I love it. Love that confidence. Number two, I want you to sit with God. So often we think we have to do more, but this is about being more. Just allow yourself to have space to sit with God. Let him speak to you and ask him, God, what superfluous material do you want to chisel away from my life? And it's not a real prayer unless you use superfluous. I'm just kidding. But... uh, you know, ask him, like, what, what is the extra stuff that I don't need that's unnecessary? Will you chisel it away from my life? Will you show me what it is? And I, I give it to you because I can't do it on my own. And he's glad to receive that and to remove it from our lives. Number three, I want you to tell three other Christians that they are a masterpiece in the making. And don't just say it you know, like vaguely, I want you to say it specifically. What is one specific way that you see God making them into a masterpiece? And watch the power of that affirmation in their life. Watch what it does to them as they grow in confidence. Can I pray for us? God, we thank you that you are the God of true belonging. You are the God who satisfies every longing that we have. You give us intimacy and connection and belonging. And we can't find it anywhere else. We accept your invitation to belong in the family of God. And we encounter Jesus because we know that's the only way to find true belonging. We are your sons and your daughters. Thank you for adopting us. Teach us how to walk with you. How to truly be a masterpiece
0: in the making. We're going to continue in our worship as an opportunity to remind ourselves of that truth, that you are a masterpiece in the making. And we do that by participating in this meal that happens all throughout the globe and has for the last 2,000 years. It's this special, uh, memorable moment where we get to participate in the work of Christ to experience belonging at his table and to encounter Jesus. We don't actually experience true belonging without an encounter with Jesus. And so, this is what this meal gets to represent for us today. And 2,000 years ago, it was said that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he had given thanks, give it to his disciples he said drink of this all of you this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins i couldn't we couldn't think of a better way to experience belonging and to think about the experience of encountering jesus than in this meal right now and so in just a moment we're going to have you come forward And uh, normally, if you've grown up in a church, maybe a more sacramental church, you have heard the words, This is the body of Christ broken for you or given for you. And you've heard the words, This is the blood of Christ shed for you. And I would ask you can receive those words right now and that truth for you right now and where you're at. Uh, But we wanted to kind of up the game just a little bit more because of John's message. And so, John and I are going to be standing here. We want to serve you communion, but we're going to be saying to you, You are a masterpiece in the making as you receive the elements. For those of you up in the balcony, uh, I believe Bridget will be up there and uh, giving you, serving you your elements as well. Uh, Lastly, I want to mention, uh, if there are any prayer team members, to just stand in the corners and be available for anybody who needs prayer as you're working through all of the truth that John spoke through. Uh, If you're working through your own struggles, your own sin, your own shame and guilt. I encourage you to seek out somebody for prayer, either before or after you receive these elements. So as you stand, I want to have us uh, pray and set our hearts and our minds on stepping to the table. Father, we are so grateful that there is literally nothing that we could do to earn a spot at the table, to earn a meal at the table. And you say, come home, be my son, be my daughter. You are mine. I pray as we receive your body and your blood, we were reminded it's by your grace we've been saved. There's nothing we could do to earn it. In Jesus' name, come forward as you are ready.